0: You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 266 of PodKatears. This week we're celebrating because not only was it Disneyland's birthday, but Marvel Studios just earned a very special place in cinematic history. We also talk a little bit about the Toy Story franchise and how it started and how it came to be what it is today. We did have a chance to record the celebration at Disneyland, by the way, so if you want to check out the video, it is in the blog post for this episode over at podcasteerscom 266. If you have any questions or comments on anything that we talk about, we'd love for you to join the conversation and give us your thoughts by leaving a comment on the blog post or on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Oh, also to everyone that has contributed to our efforts to raise money for Chalk, thank you very, very much. We're gonna be holding some auctions as part of our fundraising efforts. The first piece will be a 12 by 18 print of the Millennium Falcon from Galaxy's Edge. So make sure that you're following us on social media so you know when that is available along with the details about the auction. Uh, just search for Podketeers, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Uh, you can also find info on joining our team or even making a small donation to help our efforts to help the children of Chalk by going to teamboatwilly.com. I can't keep going without taking a moment to extend a very special thank you to an awesome group of people that we call our podcast fairy godparents or simply the FGP squad because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of PodKeteers possible. If you like our podcast and would like to help us grow, you can check out Pocketeers.com FGP for more info on how you can join the FGP squad or even provide a one-time donation. Once again, to all of the members of the FGP squad, we just want to say thank you for your support. All right, so as Sheriff Woody would say, let's ride like the wind, bullseye, and let's jump into the podcast. Here is episode 266 of Podcateers. Da 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 da, da. Woo! <laughs> what are we celebrating,
1: Gavin? Um, Disneyland's birthday? Yes, yes, Disneyland's birthday. Uh, my return to the resort after a long hiatus. Oh yeah,
0: that too. But Yeah. I mean, you know where I'm getting at. You're just teasing me here. Yeah, I know you I know. know.
1: Your movie that needed to stand on the shoulders yes. of 10 other movies yes. or 20 other movies yes. finally toppled yes. the movie yes. that only needed itself, but whatever. Over the course of 10 years, yes.
0: <laughs> yes, it is official. <laughs> Avengers Endgame has finally toppled Avatar as the number one grossing film of all time. And I'm just absolutely giddy about it. Congratulations to everyone at Marvel. Uh, This does pose an interesting dilemma. Because with the next chapter of Avatar coming soon, we know that Disney and James Cameron is working on that. We have Pandora. I, I mean, they just lost one of the biggest marketing angles that they could have used for a film that essentially nobody's really cared about for over a decade.
1: How, what do you mean they just lost an angle? Well, because they, they had the whole, the highest oh, grossing film of
0: all time yeah, has returned. Yeah, they could have marketed it that way. I and now it. they can't. I get it. You know, do you think that in 2020 or whenever the next Avatar film uh, just happens to be released, do you think people are really chomping at the bit to see another Avatar film? Um,
1: well, gosh, that question brings up so many thoughts in my mind. Uh, you don't realize the can that you just opened here. Uh So initial reaction is I'm not right now excited about any sequels. Like I'm so tired of sequels. I'm done with it. You know, what was cool about Avatar? It was it was a singular standalone, didn't rely on anything. It was just this big, broad grandiose mega hit and i i enjoyed it right so my first reaction is no i'm not as excited about a sequel i'm gonna watch it because i do love avatar but the other thing is like i don't know that that is a big motivator for people to go to a movie like for example let's talk about frozen 2 another sequel do you think that part of their marketing should be the highest grossing animated film of all time? Do you think that's going to get more people to watch Frozen 2? In some instances, I think it will. I, but, I, but I just don't think that works. But
0: that's a little different because I, I don't think they need to market Frozen in that fashion because the children that enjoyed Frozen 1 will be the ones to drive the marketing for Frozen 2.
1: Sure, but they're all going to be, what, six years older?
0: Uh, in some cases, but they're still in that sweet spot of, you know, yeah. liking it. I mean, Avatar. A lot of those people have outgrown the film in most cases, unless you're absolutely nerdy about computer animation or giant Smurf people. I don't know. I... Whoa,
1: bro! <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Uh, I mean, no, I I get it. And the other thing is, like, I it's always mystified me why they've waited so long and, you know, James Cameron like pushed back the timeline over and over and over again. And now we're supposed to get four new avatar movies and they're going to come out a full decade after the first one. So like, are we really calling these sequels or is this the start of something new that just happens to be set in the same world? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so on that level, that kind of gets me excited but if we're supposed to be just revisiting the same old characters i i don't really buy it now yeah. you know like they it's like godfather 3 they waited 20 years too long yeah no that's that's so, actually a great analogy right i just i don't i don't know it it's crazy because i really really like for the most part james cameron as a filmmaker you know i really loved titanic Uh, I really loved Avatar. You know, he does these just big mega pieces. He doesn't do a movie every other year, you know, like so many directors. He picks his projects. He puts all of his heart and soul and his whole company into it. And they make these big, impressive pieces. And as a visual nut, you know, I go to those movies looking for the eye candy and he delivers that, you know, And that's what I enjoy. So yeah, on a visual level, I'm super pumped about what they're doing because I know that he had standards of visualization that he wanted to get perfect with these films. And that's part of the reason why they kept pushing things back was because technology has been advancing so fast recently. Um, So man, it's crazy. Like my gut says, no more sequels. Give us something new. But my brain is like, uh, remember, this is James Cameron, and you loved Avatar, so shut up. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm torn.
0: I totally get what you're saying, uh, because he does have a really impressive track record of just pulling out these blockbuster hits, you know, with every project that he does. So I think on that level, we are going to be in for something absolutely amazing. Visually, I... I, I don't know what to expect. Uh, I know that the first Avatar was, was impressive and it was just a feat on its own. And the leaps and bounds that technology has taken since the first Avatar, I am curious to see exactly what we're going to get in these upcoming films. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that I know really, that, that I feel is going to be certain is that there's going to be a tie into to Pandora at Walt Disney World. sure. You know, there's obviously going to be some kind of, of tie in and there's, there's might be characters that we're going to be introduced in the film that we're going to start seeing or that are going to become Canon. And I I know that that tie in is going to happen obviously, but it will be interesting to see what they look like because I I feel like if he comes back with the same type of animation and there isn't a lot of digital advancement there, it's going to be a little disappointing to a lot of people. Sure.
1: Yeah, I agree. It can't be the same, like, story that's just populated with archetypal characters and, you know, like a, it was a very basic story that's been told a thousand times. You know, you could relate it to a million different examples in history and in movies. It wasn't that it was a new story. It was that he took us to this new world and showed us this amazing new place and we got to experience it through characters in a different way via the avatar program. Yeah. So that's where he's great is that he shows us things from a new angle. Like nobody ever told us a story about the Titanic, the way he told us that story through two people falling in love, you know, that that's why he's so good at what he does. Right. Right. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh,
0: but again, I'm looking forward to the congratulatory cartoon or whatever's going to be put out by his company, congratulating Avengers. You know, I, I, I guess that there was a lot of people going back and forth on whether or not this was uh, Endgame's first run or not. Because even Marvel, uh, when they did the quote unquote re release with the added footage and they, you know, tacked it on to stuff with Spider Man Far From Home, they called it a re release. But it technically never left theaters. There was still theaters showing that original version. Oh, yeah, I didn't so, think it ever left, really. So to me, it doesn't feel like a re-release, which Avatar actually had a re-release a year later and then some. So I almost feel like Endgame did it in its
1: first release. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it's interesting. If, if you would have said, just think, This is a random, trivial thing that just came to my brain. It's probably stupid, but if somebody told you, let's just go back 10 years before Avatar is released, um, that the top two grossing movies of all time would both start with the letters (laughs) AV. Like, you'd be like, what? AV, that's what could funny. that even be, right? The AV I club mean, strikes again. I get it's weird. <laughs> so like the cartoon could be Avatar, but the Atar is scratched out and it's just Enders. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I mean, uh, also, who would have thought that these
0: cartoonish comic book films would be the top grossing films of all time? Yeah, you know, that's true. So. Mm-hmm. Again, congratulations to everyone at Marvel. Uh, I, I think I finally have a sense of how people feel when they say, yeah, our team won. Yes, we did it. Go, local <laughs> sports team. Like, I finally have that sense of we did it, guys. And nice. Way to go. So super happy. That's cool.
1: Well, I'm happy for you. I've had the championship on Team Avatar for about ten years now, so it's time to hand over the mantle. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs>
0: enough. You know, it, it is gonna be interesting to see how long Endgame can hold on to this. Because if Avatar did I it can't once.
1: See. Yeah, but it's not it's not gonna do what that first one did. I can't imagine that it will. I I think this one's gonna be in place for this a similar timeline 10 years at least man there's i mean there's nothing on the horizon that's even building towards that you know yeah i think it's gonna have it for a good many years fair enough yeah. All right.
0: So uh, this week, uh, so full of stuff to talk about. Comic-Con is going on and there's so many announcements. We're going to be talking about some of those announcements in next week's episode uh, because we just have a ton of stuff to talk about this week. You know, one thing that did disappoint me this week, Gavin, was that I saw the schedule of things that's happening at D23 And I was already bummed out that I'm not going to be able to go on Saturday. And then I found out that the panel for the Haunted Mansion is happening on Saturday.
1: And that's one of their big ones. They're doing it it in the arena. It's in the
0: arena, yeah. I know. Haunted Mansion celebrating 50 years. Uh, I was so crushed. I can't even begin to tell you. I, I, I was man. in the fetal position. I was sobbing frantically for at least nine hundred and ninety-nine minutes. <laughs> <sighs> I I honestly don't know how to cope with this right now. I'm still well, I'm still feeling the effects.
1: Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> get get that early bird ticket in two years. I know. Don't wait. I know. Don't
0: wait. Ah, I'm just ah two years <laughs> two two expos in a row that you know, I'm unable to go on a Saturday. I know.
1: What's weird, um part of that same announcement was the Parks and Resorts um show is going to be on Sunday. It's never been yeah. on Sunday before. Yeah. It's always been the headliner of day 2. And so that's kind of weird, but I think they're realizing that a lot of people are skipping out on Sunday and they want to have one of their biggies be on that day yeah so that makes sense to me because i feel like the two biggest show well there's three big ones there's the legends obviously and then they do their like big movies panel where they talk about all the movies and they bring out all the you know avengers and who whatnot and then the parks and resorts show those are like the three big ones so i feel like they're kind of spreading it out more evenly this time which is smart. Yeah. Yeah. Sunday's always been the sleeper day. I always feel that
0: whenever we've yeah. gone on Sunday, there there's less to do and there isn't as many people there as there are on Saturday and on Friday. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm happy that I feel like there's going to be something that I'm really interested to see on Sunday, which is kind of the the just hang out day and check out all of the booths and what you can buy or uh, what you can lust for because there's so many things that you would want to buy there that you just, uh, yeah, there's so much. You just want that money bin that Uncle Scrooge is worth to just toss at everybody and just be like, here, take my money, give me your stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, overall, uh, I think getting a chance to attend on Friday and Sunday Uh, I don't feel like I'm going to be missing out on a lot. Uh, I am going to have to go to therapy eventually for missing out on the Haunted Mansion panel on Saturday. I'm still hopeful that at some point tickets may just magically become available and they'll just say, Hey, guess what? Some tickets just became available for Saturday. And I'll be like, I'm in. I will take one, please.
1: Nice. That would be cool. Yeah.
0: So I'm, I'm secretly hoping for something like that to happen. But mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't, I know you'll be there to report on it. And uh, I'm just going to have to live with that <laughs> until I, I figure out right. how to appropriately use the Aya of Agamotto and the Time Stone to reverse time sufficiently so that I can buy those early bird tickets next time. Nice. We need to move on because I'm getting sad here. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, Disneyland. So Disneyland celebrated its birthday this week. If you guys aren't following us on Twitter, Instagram, or on Facebook, we did post links to the YouTube videos. So check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Podketeers. Check out the other videos that we've posted. If you like it, of course, hit that like button. As they say, smash that subscribe button and ring that little bell icon for notifications so that you know whenever new videos are posted. You know, it was really odd because I know you've heard me say before that whenever I'm taking pictures, that area where they put the Halloween pumpkin, super great for photos. Like I love taking photos there of the parades horrible for videoing the parade
1: oh why is that
0: because you get to hear the audio from the end of main street you hear the track from in front of Walt's apartment and you hear the track from in front of the opera house so Mm. as i was listening back to the audio of this youtube video i thought wow i hear three versions of this song playing and it's all out of sync and somebody even left a comment on the on the video saying, Hey, the video's out of sync. I was like, Ugh, it's actually not out of sync. <laughs> oh
1: man. So yeah,
0: horrible place if you're actually doing video or audio. Still one of the best places to take photographs. I still stand sure. by that. But uh, if you can get past that the video of Sensationals' last day is on the YouTube channel. Plus, we posted the birthday celebration that they did for Disneyland. Uh, it had, of course, the ambassadors. It had the cavalcade of characters. Uh, it's
1: one of my favorite moments in the park. Uh, it, yeah, it's... This is the year that Disneyland finally got to ask the question, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? <laughs> and the answer is a resounding yes. <laughs>
0: that's awesome that's awesome uh
1: it would okay uh back to sensational though for a second i saw a post this week from kevin and jody who designed that parade and they dropped a little nugget that i never noticed and never realized about the parade in the the greatest float in the parade which should have been everybody's answer to your question last week um the mary poppins float Uh, the moon, the big like crescent moon that a chimney sweep is sitting in Mm -hmm. the face on that moon is a caricature of Dick Van Dyke. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't see that post. I, yeah. Check it out. Go to Kevin and Jody's Instagram. It's awesome. Dude, that is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. I never recognized that before, but it totally is. You look at it. You're like, eh, that's Dick Van Dyke. All right.
0: Oh, I'm going to have to go back and look at the photos that I took. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'm gonna find the post. I'm gonna put it in the blog post for the episode oh, podcasters.com/slash cool. two sixty six. If you want to check that out, I'm. Oh man, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I I never knew that. That's such a cool piece yeah. of trivia.
1: It's really cool. That's awesome.
0: Uh, also. Um, I know Disney has done this before. This is this is me now in rant mode. Okay.
1: Oh. oh um, yeah.
0: Let me buckle so, up here. Here, oh, here we go. I'm wagging fingers here. Whoa. Um, you know, I know that Disney's done this before with the refillable popcorn buckets, the refillable cups, and everything. This last week, they released uh, the AP tumbler that you can purchase for fourteen ninety nine, and you can refill it for like a buck. And mm-hmm. that's great. I'm glad that they're doing this, except for the fact that it holds one third of what the refillable cups at other theme parks holds for the same mm. price. You know, if mm. you go to knots, you can purchase for 15 bucks, something that holds 36 ish, 32 ounces or something like that. You scan it every 15 minutes or whatever, and you can get like a $1 refill. Yeah. Uh, and this AP cup it's a cool cup, but $15?
1: Come on, Disney. Well, let me let me actually counter with something because I feel like they kind of evened out the balance in the force because they also have installed around the resort filtered water dispensers. Yeah, those so are great. So you can refill your own water bottles and not have to spend 8 bucks on a water bottle. So I think that kind of balances it out and is awesome awesome
0: well little known fact and pro tip if you're not anywhere near those you can walk up to any counter and just ask for a cup of
1: water well that's true too that's true too but the fact that they've got these stations where you can fill up your big old water bottle that you brought is amazing you know they even have those inside smugglers run I've when seen you're it. yeah in the exit tunnel i've seen it yeah because some of those tunnels depending on where you Exit are pretty long, yeah, and you like have to wind your way out, and they've got them in there of yeah. all places. I thought that was really cool. Isn't there another one in the marketplace? Yes, yeah, there's, there's one a in the big marketplace. One at the end of the marketplace on the uh, Rise of the Rebellion, uh, yeah, side of things, yeah. or Rise of the Resistance, Rise of the sorry. Resistance, yeah.
0: And then there's yeah. obviously the one next to Autopia, and mm-hmm. I'm I, I think we're gonna see a lot more of these popping up, up yeah. around the park. I do agree with you. I think it is a really great thing that they're doing. Uh, maybe they're just getting sick of people wasting cups. Maybe it's a way for them to reduce their carbon footprint, which we've seen a lot sure. of them doing in the last year and a half. But oh. come on, man. Fifteen bucks for that cup? I'm just <laughs> – I'm saying. Look, I'm I'm all for these things. I, I love Disney and everything that they do. I, I am one of the first people in line for some of those things. But – at the same time, I'm also a consumer and I'm a consumer that has to purchase several of these things at a time, you know. So mm-hmm. when I see how much that piles up, I just think to myself, this isn't the best value per se. Also, I. In the last couple of weeks, they released these, like, little AP buttons that you can get anytime you go dine at one of these specific locations. I don't care about a button. I didn't know button. that. I don't care about a button, though. Give me the ability to earn points whenever I mobile order. And after X amount of points, give me a free meal. That is much more valuable Ooh. to me than some button that says AP on it. Do you get that button for
1: free? Yeah. That's weird. I hadn't heard about that.
0: Yeah, it's only at certain locations. I'll have to find their post. And if I find the information, I I don't even know if they're still doing it. But Hmm. if they are, I'll definitely put it in the blog post for the episode. But overall, like I said, uh, give me some kind of point system. Give me something where I'm earning something that's more valuable to me outside of this button. I know that there's button collectors and there's pin collectors. But, I mean, it, it looks like a generic button that you get. Like during the the Food and Wine Festival. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's there's nothing to it uh, outside of the fact that it just has like Disney AP on it.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I have never bought any of the AP exclusive merchandise because it all has AP or annual pass holder on it. Like just give me some cool unique design that only annual pass holders can get. You don't have to put AP on it. Yeah. You know, like that kind of ruins it for me. You know, I've never bought any of the AP stuff because of that. Yeah, I think the newest thing that they're offering is
0: that now you can go into certain locations and have them stitch the AP like logo badge onto a piece of clothing. Yeah. So
1: I'm not surprised by that.
0: Again, I, I like the stuff that they put out. I like, you know, when they when they offer these collectibles and everything, but personally, I think the cup is too small it's a nice looking tumbler but if it was twice the size, I think I would have gotten more value out of it because mm. I drink a lot you know and even if I filled it up with the water from those machines I think I would have gotten more value from it uh, but you know it is what it is we still bought three. dang (laughs) well we have to you know we have the kids and it was hot so we still got three uh but that that's so what that
1: means though is that because i guarantee you guys had more at home right you just didn't bring them like previous ones
0: uh cups i mean the only other cups that we have are usually like the mugs that they the plastic mugs that they have like the hot chocolate and Mm. stuff like that in we don't have a lot of cups per se we Mm. have a lot of the popcorn buckets And a lot of the shaped popcorn buckets, especially. But uh, uh, cups, we don't have that many of. Uh, Primarily for the same reason, because I've always felt that they're too small. When I saw the picture of this one, I thought, yay, they're finally doing this refillable thing that everybody else has been doing for at least a decade. And then I saw the size, and it, it crushed me a little bit. But. Not as got much it. as not going to the haunted mansion panel on Saturday for D twenty three has crushed me. So <sighs> overall, and we're back. <laughs> so, so overall, <laughs> I'm okay with it. I mean, I had to be okay. We got three of them, right? So yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, I th- I think you may have experienced this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this week when we went to Disneyland, I didn't see the crowd levels at you know these ghost town levels that everybody's been talking about
1: yeah i think our golden month or golden five weeks has definitely ended at this point uh everybody figured out that the star wars expansion did not bring in the droves of people that they were fearing and have now returned to the park so Peter Pan is 4 hours again. Yeah, as it should be. <laughs> uh yeah, it, my experience was the same, man. It's it's been um I you know, it's been almost a month and a half since I was there and I kept hearing about these amazing crowd levels and I was excited to go this past Saturday and you know, it was a regular Disneyland day, filled with people. Mm-hmm. So I had my fun, but it wasn't uh, the magical dead time that everybody had been talking about. It wasn't five minutes. Right. type fun, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always get there at Rope Drop, so that first hour and a half to two hours is. uh, If you get there for those first two hours of the day, that's the golden two hours right there. You can do five to ten e-ticket attractions in those first two hours, sometimes without even using a single fast pass. Yeah. It's... That's the best time to be there, but as soon as ten o'clock rolls around, crowd central True. they start flooding in and getting in your way with their people with their with their fourteen
0: dollar <laughs> AP tumblers,
1: <laughs> their fourteen dollar tiny tumblers, and their imagination pink ears. Oh my gosh, I am obsessed with Imagination Pink. It's the best new color. (laughs) I love
0: it. It does seem to look nicer than the rose gold and some of these other things that they've put out
1: recently. Yeah, you know, the rose gold was only so-so to me. Like, it was okay. Imagination... No, sorry. Potion Purple was oh yeah super awesome yeah i loved potion purple why it's was great. that so short-lived
0: i feel that rose gold went on for seven uh, years and potion well, purple rose went on gold for like six much, or
1: seven months well because rose gold was like a larger cultural thing like iphones and stuff were rose gold right like that was everywhere. Uh, yeah you're right you're potion right. purple was more of just a disney created trend right it's basically just a park merchandise trend and imagination pink is in the same vein, uh, but it lasted a good six months. I want to say the potion purple, at least. Mm. Um, so I-, I loved it. I you know it's time for new color, and I super dig imagination pink. It's kind of like a raspberry sherbet kind of color. Yeah. I love it. It's so so pretty to me. And I'm just waiting for that, like, iridescent orange or some kind of crazy orange, and I'm going to buy all the things. And I don't even care. I'm buying them all. I mean, it might get there soon because orange is
0: one of the main colors in the Three Caballeros, and we are seeing an influx in that property.
1: That's fair. So you might and we're seeing a ton it. of little orange bird bird stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, even in Disneyland, lots of little orange bird stuff. So, Maybe. Maybe I can get my orange dream come true. Word. And in the we'll meantime, see.
0: I will get my orange doll Whip. Nice. <laughs> hey, that's uh, awesome. out of curiosity, where yeah. did
1: you park? <gasps> I park in the new luxury parking lot at the Disneyland Resort. Oh,
0: my God. Let's talk about this because that's where we yes. parked for the first time.
1: Dude, it's absolutely gorgeous in there. I totally agree. It makes Mickey and Friends look even junkier than it had kind of gotten to over the last uh, year or so. And I'm hoping it means they're going to kind of plus up Mickey and Friends. But yeah, it's a totally different experience. They've got tech in there, which makes it uh, very awesome. I like the way that it's arranged. I like that you exit right out onto a surface street instead of all those crazy merging Mm on-ramps, you know. Um, So you get to exit and then turn onto Disney Way in a much more casual way. Um, The escalator situation, the loading situation, everything feels like Disney. You know, it's nice. It's pretty. The signage is so much better. The, The loading area with its lighting, with its cool new Mickey chandelier light fixtures and then the cool magical blue lighting above everything and then that uh mural that spans the whole back wall that's basically just silhouettes of characters kind of like what they did on pixar pier i love it i just think it's a you feel you don't feel like you've completely left the disneyland resort once you get there you know you feel like you're still touching the magic, you yeah. know, and you feel if you're just arriving, you feel like you're already there. It, it has a great touch to it. And I think they did a fantastic job. Yeah. You know, one
0: of the only things that I feel that were I designing the parking structure, the only thing that I would have added unless it's coming in, you know, sometime soon since they're listening was I would have <laughs> added music attached to the properties of each level. Just you know, to give I've you something, of that you know, to just listen to yeah. while you're, you know, walking to the escalator, the elevator, mm-hmm. the stairs, whatever you're doing. Uh, I think that would enhance the magical aspect of each floor. Outside of that, the giant Luxo ball, like you said, the blue lighting uh, just the way that they've streamlined the flow of people into the metal detectors and into the loading oh.
1: zone for the tram. Oh, it's just – oh, bravo. Bravo. And the fact that it's not just plastic folding tables, that they actually Word. have built-in stations. Yes. Like I feel like that's got to be the next move for the security at the borders of the park, right? Is like something more permanent. Yeah. Because, you know, hopefully they're not going to keep moving it to different locations. But, yeah, it's just it just seems so much more refined and nice. Nice.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely love it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to spend uh, a lot of time there, obviously, because the flow was so well uh, that, I mean, we were in and out within five or six minutes, you know, on Mm -hmm. our way into the resort, coming back, obviously. Uh, But it's picture worthy. I, I know for yeah. a fact it's picture worthy. I just I, I, I want to go back and just photograph all aspects, the way that they designed. I mean, we had already kind of seen some of the design work that they had done architecturally outside with the building yeah. and what looks like a giant helicopter slanted pad at the top of the escalators. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to experience it, Try to make an effort to park on that side and then make sure that you go onto the side of downtown Disney to use their escalators. If you walk towards Mickey and Friends, you're going to end up using the stairs or you're going to have to wrap around to use the escalators coming down from Mickey and Friends. So if you want Mm -hmm. the full experience, walk towards downtown Disney, regardless of the floor that you're on, and you'll hit the escalators and the elevators in the parking structure for Pixar Pals. While you were at Disneyland, what did you get a chance to do?
1: Um, Really, I wanted to spend some time in Galaxy's Edge and do some exploring, you know, because this was my first time back since my reservation uh, where, you know, we only had four hours. Uh, And I got to walk around everywhere, basically, uh, during that four hours. But I didn't really get to take my time and explore. Yeah. So my experience this time was largely around the data pad from the Disney Play app. Oh, right on, dude. And I got to experience a lot of that. I was um, hacking door panels around the land. I was scanning cargo. I was tuning into those radio towers and getting transmissions. So I have acquired... um, Outfits for my character, I've acquired a lot of different equipment, star maps. I'm building a map of the galaxy. Um, I've received transmissions with data files for spaceships and droids. There is so much to do. And I haven't even scratched the surface, you know, like I walked around and felt like I had done a pretty clean sweep of all the things you could scan. And then I looked at the numbers because it'll tell you you've scanned x number out of x number available yeah i'm not even close dude so either they haven't fully put everything out yet as they you know open the second half of the land or they've just done a really good and clever job about hiding things so it's if you're if you're interested in trying that out it's going to keep you coming back time and time again to try and complete all these different things because there's a lot there. You know, I was worried after about the first couple hours, I was worried. I felt like, oh, I'm kind of getting through these really fast. But then you realize, oh, wait, no, I'm nowhere close to getting through this. So I had fun just playing with that. You know, I got to go on the uh, smugglers run a couple of times while I was there. And of course, that's always amazing. Um, but if you haven't tried out the data pad and really gotten into exploring that and you know, experiencing the gamified things that they have in that land, I totally encourage you to do so because it, it does add a different element that no other land has right now. It's really really cool. The one thing I will say is that it is a power suck. It will yeah. it uses a lot of batteries, so if you don't have a external charger with you use it in small spurts because it will drain fast. Um, I didn't have a charger with me. And for the last couple hours I was there, I was basically on radio silence because my phone was about to die.
0: Oh, crazy. Uh, I yeah. do have at
1: least one achievement so far. Ooh, what
0: uh, I have black Spire Explorer.
1: Ooh, nice. Yeah.
0: I unlocked it. That's one of your titles. It is. Uh, It's one of the special achievements. That you can get.
1: Um, Oh, under just the play app. Under
0: just the play app, yeah. Yes, yes, Uh, yes, yes. As far as the data pad is concerned, uh, I don't remember what it is, but I think one of them has to do with translating. Because I was using Uh the translator uh, and I was typing in the characters uh, to try to figure out what some of those signs said. And so I think I got a badge that's associated with the translation portion of it. Yep. Uh, But that's pretty much. You can translate
1: any of the signs in the land. Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh,
0: Outside of having to physically type in every single character, uh, it would have been nice if they had some kind of like VR function. Kind of like, um, I forgot what the Google version is called, but Samsung has it too. It's like Bixby Vision and stuff, where you hover Mm -hmm. over the item and it overlays a translation. Uh, in real time. Oh, like, cool. People use that when they're traveling to other countries and it's uh, translating signs and stuff for them. Uh, yeah. Something like that, I think, would have been super cool to see, uh, especially since it's like all, you know, all this technology. But considering that the story is, you know, you're putting these things together from scraps, maybe, or you're walking around and you're like a spy. Uh, I-, I get it. It was cool. It, it was nice to experience. I do want to go back... And play in the app the the way that you've had yeah. a chance to, because I think yeah. as you progress, I think things unlock as you complete certain tasks, yep. right?
1: Yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I don't know what the end game is. Uh, as far as how you actually finish, how often they're going to be adding things. But I know that it was originally set up so that you are part of the Resistance or you're part of the First Order.
1: Or you can just be a scoundrel, like a free agent.
0: Oh, okay. That part I didn't know about.
1: Yeah, there's three, three kind of factions you can find yourself in.
0: And did you, did you happen to ask if you can reset it once you finish the game? Because I know that was a question we I had didn't. really early on.
1: I think I saw that you can, though, when you um, when you go to your profile somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it is, but okay. I feel like you can. I saw a setting for that um, when I was looking at it.
0: Well, that's good because now you yeah. have three different experiences that you can have you sure. know, at, at different times. And if you don't go as frequently or you don't plan on spending 12 hours there like you did, you know, it's it's gonna keep you coming back for more, which is super awesome. Yeah,
1: if my battery wasn't dying, I would have stayed in there for hours more uh, doing it. Like the one um, X, like I took one job in line for the Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run attraction, and it was basically really just a tryout for a job, so it doesn't really count. But mm. the the real job that I took on was very difficult um, because you're actually playing live with other people in the land. And it was basically trying to secure or trying to nail down security for a section of the land. So this one was in the marketplace. And you basically had to go around and, and start hacking all the door panels and then installing a security defense either for the resistance or the first order. And it was kind of like a game of tug of war, you know, so whoever's side ended up with the majority of the hacks by the time the game ended or at by some point, then, you know, that side won. And I felt like I was outnumbered by first order people there, you know, because I kept hacking and I kept falling behind and I kept going and. Uh, so it's it's cool because you can actually see the effect of people playing live. That's cool. You know, you you get it and you start looking around and stormtroopers start walking through and you put away your phone and you're like hide you're like no I'm cool I'm not doing anything cuz they they grill people. They yeah. go around like like you know they'll joke around or they'll do their thing but they'll actually like grill people that are doing stuff. So It's fun, man. Like you get into it. You kind of feel like you're a spy, like you're like being incognito and it's neat because the stuff will interact with you too. You know, when you interact with a door panel, like it'll start beeping and the lights will start changing and you know, that's when you're, you know, succeeding and it's, it's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. I love it.
0: I love it. (laughs) I can't wait till I get a chance to experience that some more.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. We're going to have to make a day out of it. Oh yeah. We'll just get a whole team together. And we'll just go and we'll, we're going to try to take the first order down. Yeah. We're just, I'm all about we're it. Gonna do it. We're yeah, going to do it. Yeah.
1: Because uh, spoilers, I'm resistance all the way.
0: I've been known to bounty hunt, so.
1: Uh, that's cool. We can use a few I mean, scoundrels for our side.
0: Look, I, I I just go with whoever pays me more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, my buddies, Django and Boba, have always been uh, nice.
1: good at that. I like it. <laughs> I like it.
0: All right. Well, until we get an opportunity to go to Galaxy's Edge again, we'll keep you posted on any new things that we happen to see or experience in the Play app. I'm super excited to get a chance to try it out. Uh, But I think it's time to jump
1: into our main topic for this week. What do you think? Wait, before we do, um, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to ask our listeners a question as well. Sure. Um, I wasn't able to find any information on it. You may have heard but for a couple of months now, the harpsichord in the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction has been missing. And I don't know what's going on with it, but I want my harpsichord back. So whoever knows the whereabouts of the Pirates of the Caribbean harpsichord in the captain's quarters, I'd love to know. Because I, I haven't found anything about it, but it's a, to me, it's a very prominent prop. That has been missing for months at this point.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that it's been months since I've been on that attraction.
1: Yeah. I mean, it may have been... It's been at least two months, maybe three months at this point that it's been missing. Interesting. Yeah. I keep going thinking, uh, surely it's back by now. But you still hear it. The music is still there. But there's no harpsichord.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if they're using it for something else or if they're refurbishing it or something, but I will be super bummed if that goes away. Yeah. Well, if anybody has some information on that that you'd like to
0: share with everybody, just DM us, send us a, a quick message. And if you don't want us to reveal who you are, you know, we we won't. we will just uh, one of our sources telling us. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that it was gone. I like I said, I didn't realize that it's been that long since I've been on the attraction because the last mm-hmm. time I got on, it was still there.
1: Okay. Hmm. Yeah. It's gone.
0: Oh man. Yeah. Mm. All right. Now the now we're going to have to get a data pad and find that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Alright, well, before we jump into this week's topic, I do want to remind you that this episode of Pocketeers is brought to you by the love and care of the wonderful folks that we like to call our podcast, Fairy Godparents, the FGP Squad. If you would like a little bit more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, it's super simple. Head over to podcateers.com FGP. You'll find some information about what the FGP squad is and a link to sign up through Patreon. With your monthly contributions, you are eligible to check out some of the private streams that we do, some of the private uploads and special podcast recordings that we do. Plus you're entered into some of the giveaways that we've started doing for the FGP squad. We're going to have a live stream. Coming up soon again for the FGP squad, and so we're super psyched. The first one that we did last month just went as best as possibly could have, (laughs) and I think from from here on we're we're just going to try to make them better and better. So to everyone on the FGP squad, we just want to send a huge thank you for all of your support. And again, if you are interested in helping out the podcast because you just like what you hear, or you just you know, you just want to help because that's the type of person that you are. com slash FGP is where you want to go for more information. Okay, so. If you guys are new to the podcast, what we tend to do is every month we try to concentrate on a land, an attraction, and then after a few episodes of discussing that, we we tend to have an armchair Imagineering session about that land or section attraction. However, this month is going to be a little different. Over the next three weeks, we are going to be talking about Frontierland. We are going to do armchair Imagineering, but As you all know, recently, Toy Story 4 came out, and Toy Story 4 has been kind of a long time coming. So we thought it would be a little fun to just give you a brief history of where the franchise came from, kind of how it all started, and uh, just kind of wrap everything up. Now that we've officially wrapped the franchise up, crossing our fingers, (laughs) Uh, But, you know, this is kind of it's just brief. You know, it's not as long as some of the other segments that we've done. But I did want to say something that I feel is important before we start this part of the podcast, because given the situations about how things went down with John Lasseter at Disney and Pixar. I do want to make clear that we don't condone those actions. However, we do acknowledge that behind the topic of today's segment, there's a story and there's and the characters in the films that we got along the way are part of that story. And I say this because no matter where you stand regarding what happened to John Lasseter, there's no denying that he was one of the primary forces, if not the primary to bring us Toy Story and ultimately the lineage of films that Pixar has brought us. So I'm going to do my best to tell that story while trying to be as respectful as possible to the situation at hand. So with that said, let's jump into the story of Toy Story. You know, when, when we're children, we tend to have huge imaginations. You know, chairs and sheets become forts boxes, become spaceships, and this was probably the case for a boy growing up in Whittier, California. His Casper doll took the number one spot as his bestest buddy, and soon a G.I. Joe doll came in to join the fun. A couple or so decades later, in 1983, that same boy was working as an animator at the only company that he wanted to work for, the Disney Company. He was an animator on Mickey's Christmas Carol. But when two of his close friends invited him to take a look at a project they were working on, his eyes lit up. That project was Tron. (laughs) I knew that would (laughs) widen your eyes. Oh, I know it. That day, John Lasseter left in awe at what he had seen, but it wasn't the film itself that made him feel that way. It was the potential that he saw in computer animation as a medium. Until then, computer animation was in its infancy and was really just a bunch of circles and dots and squares flying around in space. It was rudimentary to say the least. That same year, John was essentially fired from the Disney company. And uh, after a few phone calls and trying to find jobs, he went on to join Ed Catmull and Alvy Smith at a newly formed company called Pixar. Their mission was simple, to create the world's first computer animated feature film. Of course, to do so would require a lot of work, which was seemingly impossible. But I bet that's what a lot of people told Walt Disney when he said that he wanted to create the world's first animated feature length film. Snow White much? (laughs) We've always known Pixar to be a company that has brought us innovation in the realm of computer animation, and this was certainly the case even when they started. A huge part of why John Lasseter joined Pixar was for his storytelling abilities, but in return he learned a lot about how to use the software that Pixar was designing with and the software they were creating. Their first animated short was a revolutionary film called The Adventures of Andre and Wally B. Considering that the original plan was to only create computer-generated backgrounds for the short and went on to create everything, including the characters, this showed the Pixar team that they were onto something amazing. They now had a pretty solid foundation to learn from as they continued their quest to create a computer-animated feature-length film. Over the years, the team continued to hone their skills, creating award-winning pieces like Luxo Jr., Red Stream, Tin Toy, and Knick Knack. They went on to create television commercials for juice, mouthwash, lottery tickets, cars, and toys, just to name a few items. But with every piece that they put out, they got closer and closer to their original goal. In the early 90s, Disney was exploring new forms of media and video production, and Pixar just happened to catch their eye. But after losing money, after this really bad divorce that George Lucas went through, he decided to sell off Pixar. Steve Jobs picked it
1: up. It's an insane lineage of ownership right there. Isn't it? You (laughs) start
0: off with George Lucas, you go off to Steve Jobs, and eventually it becomes part of the Disney company. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) not having much experience in the 3d realm it was really the success of nightmare before Christmas that opened the doors to Disney working with another outside company they were so impressed that Disney and Pixar went on to pen a historic 26 million dollar deal to produce three computer animated films the first was Toy Story although the company had come pretty far from where they had first started at that time, computer animation still suffered from many technological limitations. Regardless, they accepted the challenge. The technological challenges that the Pixar team faced would have brought many to their knees in tears. The software and hardware to pull off this task just didn't exist. So they all went home and they cried in the corner, just like I did when I couldn't get into the D23 panel for the oh Haunted my Mansion.
1: Gosh. Build a bridge,
0: bro. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually not what they did.
1: Instead,
0: they created the hardware and software needed to pull off these tasks. That's a baller move. It is. The story itself went through many creative changes, including one of which saw our, our hero, Sheriff Woody, as kind of a jerk. By trying to create this edgy character, Woody became off-putting and a bit of a bully which really didn't work with their script. His character was so bad that the entire production was halted until he was recreated and approved by the Disney company. At this point, they were afraid that Disney wasn't coming back and Steve Jobs had to personally fund the project until Disney was back on board. But what about a musical? Disney's all about musicals, right? Wrong. This was not your run-of-the-mill Disney movie. The characters wouldn't be singing, and when Disney came to the table with a few songs that they wanted in the project, Pixar instantly shut it down. There was no princesses, which was really Disney's forte at the time, and still kind of is for the most part. And something else that Disney kept trying to quote-unquote correct was that the focus was on the toys and not the kids playing with the toys. So they kept adding more human characters and kind of ruining the story. And it wasn't until this young uh, writer came into the fold. You might know him now. uh, This uh, writer by the name of Joss Whedon? Sound Mm -hmm. familiar to you? Yep. He came in and essentially gave us the toy story that we know today. Pixar had asked for about three months to retool the movie once Disney said that they weren't interested to get closer to a storyline that Disney would be happy with. And they were able to just meet that goal with enough new storyboards to keep Disney interested. Overall, the Pixar team had decided that they would not only concentrate on their technical know-how, which is really what Disney hired them for, but also the story. The story had to be just right, and it finally was. Animation-wise, the team thought that they could render out everything they needed over 20 months using 53 computers in a render farm. Boy, were they wrong. (laughs) That number grew to 300 just to keep up with the taxing nature of the rendering process. And I mean, if you remember what Toy Story 1 looks like, it's very rudimentary compared to what Toy Story 4 looks like today. And by comparison, their render farms are now in the dozens of thousands. Yeah. The next part was getting the voices right. The all star ensemble that made up the voices in Toy Story 1 was a who's who in Hollywood. Pixar hired Tom Hanks and Tim Allen for Woody the Cowboy and Buzz Lightyear. Among others were Annie Potts, Don Rickles, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger, Jim Varney, and many more. Over the course of several years, many sleepless nights, algorithms were tweaked, stories were rewritten, frames were rendered, and voices were recorded. Oh yeah, but what about that music part? Well, it was Randy Newman that was brought in to give the film its musical flair with amazing tunes that is just relatable to all ages and are just timeless. Regardless of who you are, where you come from, you can relate to every single piece in Toy Story. It was the perfect punctuation for this film. Toy Story went on to premiere at the El Capitan Theater in Los Angeles in California on November 19, 1995 and was released in all of North America just a few days later. It was the highest grossing film that opening weekend, earning over $373 million at the worldwide box office. It was a critic's dream and audiences absolutely loved it. The technical innovation that was brought forth with this 3D film and just the themes, the wit, the dialogue, the music was just absolutely amazing. Nothing like it had ever been put together. It went on to receive Academy Award nominations, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song for You've Got a Friend in Me, and Best Original Score, as well as winning the Special Achievement Academy Award. In 2005, which was the first year that it actually became eligible, it was inducted into the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Toy Story 1 went on to give us three other Toy Story films. And although we've talked about it in the past that we truly felt that Toy Story 3 was a really good bookend, after watching Toy Story 4 personally... I feel that they did a really good job of finalizing this entire storyline for these characters. Outside of that, we've also gotten a retheming of an entire land at California Adventure. We have Pixar Pier. And of course, we see these characters sprinkled around Disney parks all over the world from Toy Story Mania to Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. And to wrap everything up, I guess, When you really think back on everything that this team put together and everything that they did, it really does go to show that Walt Disney was right, that it really is kind of fun to
1: do the impossible. Yep, (laughs) that's true. You know, that's that's kind of perfect that you said that because Toy Story kind of has a parallel to uh, Walt Disney animation in that. It's kind of Pixar's Snow White. Yep. You know, it was their first feature animated film. And in a compressed way, you know, they kind of cut their chops with uh, some shorts, some some commercials and things like that. And then they finally honed all their skills and created a feature length film, which for a long time was their was arguably their best film and in many ways might still be the best story they ever told. And, you know, getting like a special achievement Oscar because they don't have a category. It's like so many similarities to Snow White, right? So I really do kind of see that as the Snow White of Pixar. Um, it. I remember when it came out, I was in the... I don't know if I was in the majority or not, but I was in the camp that was hesitant to jump on the bandwagon of a computer animated film. And... You know, my passion for 2D animation was already very strong. You know, the the years before that, we got Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, like all these epic, amazing films in this new golden era of Disney animation. And then here comes this upstart wanting to bring us CG. Yeah. And I was like, well, CG's not as good. It can't be. It's it's no. It's dumb. Well, of course, I fell in love with Toy Story, like the rest of the world did. And so much of it is that amazing story that they told. And, you know, you mentioned it, the relatability of it and the the good message of it, which I thought was really cool. It was a really positive, uh, beautiful message. Um it's it's so good. It's it's hard to argue that it's not still possibly their best film. You know, I think they've done they've advanced their animation in leaps and bounds, but as far as storytelling and character development it's hard to top Toy Story, man. Yeah. It really is. It's a fantastic film.
0: And a lot of people agree with you, including some of the animators and some of the ones that were part of that original brain trust that you've heard us mm-hmm. talk about at Pixar, right? Uh, I, I believe it was at South by Southwest a few years ago when Toy Story celebrated its 20th anniversary. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what the quote was. I'm paraphrasing at this point, but I think it was Andrew Stanton that said, you know, visually it may have been one of the ugliest things we've ever put together, but the story was so good that it just compelled people to watch it over and over again. And yeah. and it's true. I mean, w- when you look at the weird lips on Sid and Andy and like the weird facial features that they do, I mean – Again, just to put that together the way that they did, truth be told, that was one of the main focuses as to why I even started learning 3D animation.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, Toy Story was
0: really one of the drivers for me and because disney had already been dabbling in cg you know we saw it with beauty and the beast just several years back when they created the ballroom scene and well they'd already been using digital cell animation as
1: early as little mermaid right yeah
0: um But, you know, they were really trying to push forth that medium and they knew that they were reaching limitations with what they could do. And when Pixar was right there, the bright shining star earning all of these awards and accolades, they thought, okay, well, let's bring them on. And, you know, ultimately they went on to purchase Pixar and in this crazy roundabout way after john lasseter got fired all those years after working on mickey's christmas carol he was once again employed with the disney company and you know i mean the whole pixar story itself and the bitter feud and everything that ensued i think that's a whole other story that we can tell at some point and i think we will but yeah i mean just to wrap this all into a nice snuggly blanket for you uh it's turned out really well you know, mm-hmm. And we owe a lot to Toy Story because uh, not only did Toy Story give us this amazing franchise with this amazing set of characters that we've all grown to love... I think it spawned the imagination of so many animators and storytellers around the world. And outside of that, the technology like RenderMan and all these other things that Pixar created are being used by other animation studios to create their works of art as well. So, I mean, we owe Toy Story a lot when it comes to filmmaking.
1: Sure, I agree. It has um, created a new category of filmmaking, in essence. Um, you know, I wanted to to touch on something you mentioned a minute ago, and that's about the the look of Toy Story, and you know how it looks dated now and it you know it's obviously not as advanced in its um, textures and lighting and things like that that's the problem with computer animation in general is that it becomes dated relatively quickly and that's where i find the superiority of 2d animation comes in because that type of filmmaking doesn't ever almost ever become dated looking you know it it always looks the way it's supposed to look Um, but for whatever reason, our minds want to dissect computer animation, um, with the ideal of realism, you know, being in the forefront of our minds. I don't know what this is psychologically, but this is, this is how we see CG. And so, you know, the most advanced animated things they've ever done. So let's take Toy Story 4, which is arguably their most exquisitely beautiful animated thing they've done. In 10 years, we're going to see all the cracks in that, you know, because CG animation will have advanced even farther. You know, uh, something like Piper, which when it came out was like, oh, my gosh, what are we looking at? This is this is unbelievable. In 10 years, you know, it's going to look like child's play, you know, because CG has a different set of rules to it, you know, visually. So. It's interesting to watch that progression, but I think we can still look at Toy Story as a work of art and supremely impressive for its time because it has some lighting in it that is, to this day absolutely impressive you yeah. know there's some shots of of andy's house at dusk with the sunset and that like gold and orange lighting it's beautiful. hitting it there are scenes in in sid's bedroom with you know the light coming in through the window and you can see you know how that is lighting the room and it's just it's so palpable and like amazing the way they did it and you know so we truly had talent and amazing artists working on those early films and you know, they've just kind of grown their, the skills and abilities of their software more than anything, because they already had the skills and abilities to create that level of art. They just needed a tool to be able to keep up with them. Right. Right. So that's the fascinating and impressive thing about Pixar is that they've been basically developing their own paints and paintbrushes and canvases you know, like artists used to have to do 500 years ago. They couldn't just go to an art supply store, so they had to make it themselves, right? right. That's what Pixar is doing. They're making their own art supplies. Yeah. And it's impressive.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. The question that you ask right now is, is something that I've asked myself before as well. And I think the, the conclusion that I came to personally is that In the last 20 years, technology has advanced faster than it ever has. And because of that, I think our minds have been conditioned to move at the speed of technology. Because of that, we look at traditional 2D animation as something from the past that won't ever advance. right? Mm -hmm. Even though it can and even though it will, I think that's how we see it. And even when you look at something like... Uh, The cartoons that are that are on like Gravity Falls, for instance, or DuckTales, when you look at that type of animation, that's not traditional 2D animation, but it's based on it. And yet people see it more synonymously with 2D animation than they do with CG or computer animation. And so I think our brain has just settled into 2D animation is a thing of the past 3D is a new thing and we have to see how it's advancing and how much it can trick us into thinking that we're in this real world scenario. Because outside of feature films like Toy Story, the fact that these same computer generated effects are giving us these worlds like in Avengers Endgame, giving us these props, these costumes, these mechanisms for which to tell this story that is creating this weird connection yet disconnection in our brains telling us this is what you should be looking for, not yeah. 2D animation, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting idea. I think there's there's probably something to that. You know, it, it's, it's always fascinated me and it's always – I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, in comparison with other art forms – you know, like painting versus sculpture versus drawing, you know, like I don't necessarily see one as more technologically advanced than the other. So this is kind of a unique scenario in art where it's technology that's maybe, maybe it's like the advent of photography. You know, that was kind of an advancement in the two-dimensional image as an art form. You know, technology aided that right uh it's it's weird it's it's just it's just kind of unique and it's hard to for me to process why we um understand these things so differently this is probably super boring and too philosophical for this podcast but you know, I, these are the kinds of things I contemplate when I'm sitting there watching Toy Story 4. <laughs> you know, it's okay, buddy. Which, which is what people are probably shouting at me saying, just enjoy the movie for the love. <laughs> if it makes
0: you feel any better, I think of that stuff too. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, I don't know. Uh, my final thoughts on the, the Toy Story franchise, though. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that Toy Story was a masterpiece. It was the most amazing way to start Uh, their run of hit-making. I thought Toy Story 2 was okay. I'm glad we got Jesse out of it, but that's basically all we got out of it in my my book. Uh, And then Toy Story 3 was just so exquisitely beautiful in its storytelling. I think with Toy Story 4, they have fully fallen into the trap of, okay, we caught lightning in a bottle with Toy Story. If we just keep going back to that well it'll never run dry and I just, I just hope that they're done with it at this point. You know, I need to rewatch it again with open eyes again and and try and enjoy it more than I did the first time. Um, But yeah, I think that well is dry. I love what they gave us, but I'm ready for onward and everything they have to offer us beyond that. Yeah. Well
0: said. Well said. Well, I think that's a great place for us to end this Toy Story discussion. Uh, I think if anybody out there listening has any thoughts on what we were just talking about, about, you know, this disconnect between 2D animation and 3D and computer animation, you know, join the conversation. Leave us your thoughts over on Instagram, Facebook, send us a message on Twitter or leave a comment in the blog post for this episode over at podcuteers.com 266. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that and we can talk about them in an upcoming episode.
1: Uh, real quick, who's your favorite Toy Story character? Uh,
0: i don't know that's hard man like there's (laughs) there's so much of me that wants to go with mr potato head because he's just so like (laughs) cranky and snappy and like Uh you know don rickles is just uh, he's just so good but uh, there's a lot of noble qualities in buzz lightyear that i really enjoy and Mm -hmm. yet that noble aspect is just escalated in woody um the aliens are pretty dope. I mean, <laughs> I don't know,
1: man. You put me in a weird situation right now. <laughs> I might have to think about that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I'm Woody. I'm all the way Woody. Okay. Yeah. With, uh, with a close second being Mr. Prickle Pants. Oh, Mr. Pricklepants.
0: <laughs> he's so good, too. He just cracks me up. Yeah.
1: Well, see, Rex
0: cracks me up, too. He's like, yeah, I can't Rex is like good. his hands
1: and everything. They're so small. Yeah. Like, ah. I like Ham. I've always been a Ratzenberger yes. fan. And he's like the ultimate legacy actor for to- uh, Pixar movies. The evil Dr. Porkchop. So, yeah, he's amazing. Ah,
0: so good. I don't know. I mean, should we? I guess you can kind of wrap it up with, like, it's got to be Andy, because this is all from Andy's imagination. But then the toys' imagination. Well, now it's from Bonnie's, and but is it really because technically the toys come to life because it's his? I don't know.
1: All all I know is that Sid is one of the most underrated villains of all time.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, that dude is just evil, man. He's the scar of the digital world. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I love how they get him in the end. It's so
0: genius. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to end the episode for this week. Again, if you have any thoughts on anything that we talked about, feel free to join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And before we wrap up, I do want to quickly remind you that if you like this podcast and you just can't become a fairy godparent like we talked about earlier we have a really great way for you to help us out if you shop on Amazon before you make your next purchase start by going over to podcasteers.com slash Amazon and clicking on the big Amazon button because doing so will take you to Amazon using our special link and anything that you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we mentioned them on this podcast and you went through the trouble of doing the clickety clack and going over to Amazon and to every Anybody that's already doing that. We just want to send a huge thank you for your support as well. So, with that said, it's time to wrap it up this week. So, until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Major look.